Welcome to the Captain's Thoughts podcast, where we demolish arguments and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about teaching. For my guest today, I have distinguished Bible teacher and church member, actually he's a deacon of a church, Ian McCullough. We are together are part of Freedom Fellowship serving Northeast Ohio, and I thought he would be the perfect guest to come talk about teaching because you yourself were in fact a teacher. Yes. In college. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I taught a couple classes as part sure. of his undergraduate, yeah. but you've also taught the Bible. I have. That's even more important because that specifically is our topic today, how to teach mm-hmm. and what does the Bible have to say about teaching? So I thought we'd talk about first the role of teaching in the church today and maybe even using our own church as a template to talk about how we kind of yeah. do it because... We are a home church-based movement, so our church is, you know, organized by small groups. It's really broken up by small groups. That's really the seat of our ministry is our, these smaller groups that meet in people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess these days are more meeting outside on parks, account of the parks, parking lots, parking lots, wherever we can, yeah. inside pools when it's hot, you know. But uh, anyway, so home church-based. And so what that means is we have to raise up many teachers. Um, I think in the traditional church today, it's, it's more organized kind of around maybe a handful yeah. of teachers that teach the big, the big group. Um, and, you know, there's advantages there, you'd have to say, with that model in that the teachers or preachers that get up to teach the main meeting are going to be the best of the best. Yeah. You have to bet they put up their best. At the, you know, at the big meeting, I suppose. Everybody knows them. They're respected. Yeah. They they put in the reps. Yeah, uh, yeah. They can be um, that people c- can be confident that they're going to come and deliver every week. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said about that. But when you start breaking up into several groups, now you have to raise up many teachers, and you you know when you're sp- getting spread out like that. You're raising up teachers that sometimes don't know what they're doing necessarily. Yeah. Inexperienced, you might say. Um, so there's a there's a challenge there in doing a more home church based model, and that you have to raise it more. And you don't always get the A game, right? Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Um, so I was just curious. Uh, we have a IP teachers Facebook group. And oh, I, yes. I was curious to see how many people are in there. We have 119 members. In the IP teachers Facebook. Yes, IP would be Identity Project, our college ministry. That's how many? 119. 119 teachers. Some of that I do believe is some uh, other home churches or other spheres. Yeah. But a bulk of that is roughly college-stage students. Wow. In Identity Project. That's astonishing. A church of 100 and whatever teachers in it. 119 teachers in it. Um, That's pretty phenomenal, but, you know, risky, too, you'd have to say. But there's advantages with that, too. Do you like the fact that we have so many teachers in our fellowship? I do. I think it, uh, one thing that I've seen that's awesome is sometimes uh, someone gets up there and you wouldn't expect them to be a phenomenal teacher. And oh, yeah. then just like something powerful happens. 
So we'll find the, the diamond like the, in the rough. Uh, yeah, the diamond in the rough is it's really sweet to experience that, and also to see just uh, people grow over time. Yeah, that's that's exciting. Yeah, it's tremendous, and I think that there is something uh, really valuable because. When you have a large church and a very small number of people teaching, uh, you know, just think of how many people in the crowd like have, might even have a gift for teaching, yeah. and they're not being used. You know, where where can they go and do that? You just think of how much talent, how much gifting is wasted there. Um, but yeah, you you do get the opportunity with many teachers to find the diamond in the rough, to find the the, the people who are particularly gifted at it, uh, along with finding people that are not necessarily gifted at it. But the other advantage is then you can grow, you can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one, that's one of the qualifications of uh, uh, elders is that they be able to teach. And so it's not that they, uh, you know, be the best preacher in the world, but it's that they're able to and called upon, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, you know, and, and so an elder would be someone who is spiritually mature. So there's something to be said about growing spiritual maturity and being able to teach uh, when called upon. Yeah. That is an important part of every Christian's growth. Mm-hmm. Um and you also think that there, you have opportunity to teach all the time. You know, it's not just at the big meetings, but, you know, when you're called upon to at a family gathering or something to explain yourself, to give a defense, mm-hmm. in a sense, you are teaching. Ideally, you want to listen more than you're yeah. teaching. But. I think uh, one thing I was talking about with some guys the other day is how in a lot of our families, we have become the appointed person to say grace before family mm-hmm. meals or before Thanksgiving or Christmas or things yes. like that, which you can use that as an opportunity to like kind of squeeze in a mini teaching in your prayer, yep. you know, where it's like you can give the gospel in the midst of your prayer. So even though it's a prayer, it's an opportunity to yes. teach too. I was in that position last Thanksgiving, actually, at my at my wife's side of the family. I was about to dig into my food and then literally I was stopped on my tracks like, Kyle, you're a pastor, right? Can you give the blessing? Like, okay uh of course (laughs) sweating so you know that's uh i can definitely relate to that but it is it is good to be able to learn how to Mm -hmm. teach even if you're not going to be the major hitter every week right so it's good to learn how to teach yeah um one of the things we do i like also is that we will split teaching so We'll have a sermon, and in our college group in particular, we will uh, split that teaching into two, where mm-hmm. one person teaches one half, and the other person teaches the other half. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain maybe the rationale behind doing yeah. that? Yeah. In my experience, it's predominantly been in order to raise up a younger teacher, mm-hmm. uh, to give them experience. When I first started teaching, that's what it was for me. Uh, I know I spent years, I taught with Adam Esterly a couple times, I used to teach with you for maybe a year or two, I don't know, it was a while. Yeah. But eventually, uh, the goal is the younger person to get in a position where they they can probably branch off and almost start their own teaching pair. Yes. So I, for a couple of years, have been teaching with younger dudes or maybe people who are just younger in the faith, haven't taught as much. So um, the goal being, I'm going to show you how to teach or we're going to work through this together. Uh, and the accountability, too, is nice. But... Yes. Yeah, it's a lot to put on the shoulders of a new teacher to say, you handle this entire yeah. teaching by yourself this week. Um, you know, and, But to say, okay, we would like to raise you up, teach you how to teach, so take this half uh, is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, ideally what we want, you know, our, our vision here with our home church is that they grow and they be able to split so that yeah. it doesn't become one big group, but they will split off. And then they're going to need their own teachers on that side yeah. then when you have a new split. And so when you are then splitting teachings down the middle, you 
have more people that are that can yeah. shoulder and that's that uh going back to the what roughly 120 people on that facebook group that's amongst seven eight home churches yes so it's a lot of numbers but that's also that's a lot of people but it's also spread out over home churches and you've kind of seen the exponential growth where as yes. home churches have grown number of home churches then you know obviously number of teachers have, have grown too yes absolutely so there's a lot of value there i think you know the most ideal way to teach would be to have just the one person teach it as long as they're good, right? Because yeah. uh, then they can, you know, just have the, the whole burden themselves and, you know, bring their own mm -hmm. kind of creativity to it and not have to worry about the first part that they're not even going to talk yeah. about. Um, but, you know, so you sacrifice a little bit of that in the interest of growing leaders, yeah. growing teachers. Mm -hmm. to, to, and so it's worth it as far as I'm concerned. Um, okay. So, well, let's take a look at some Bible verses on teaching. We'll talk through them. On teaching the Bible? On teaching Bible, verse, Bible on verses teaching Bible? on teaching the Bible verses. I like it. You know, one could say. Yeah. And so let's let's see a scriptural foundation for this, right? Sure. We'll start with First Timothy four thirteen. Uh it says, Until I come, Paul talking, not Jesus talking. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So what I get here is a command that you need to be teaching. Mm -hmm. That teaching has to be an essential block of any church. Yeah. That it has to be present. Um, so, you know, and that when he talks about like um, to scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, like the, the word exhort would be to urge someone on mm -hmm. to do something. So there's that role in teaching where you want to like see movement. You yep. want to see transformation. You want to see your people possibly repent, change their mind. You want to see them move toward, you know, from one place to another as a result of teaching. You want to see growth. You want to see movement. Yeah. Is something I get out of that verse. For sure. One thing that I think is interesting, and I, and I know some of these other passages kind of point to this, is uh, it's easy to, and I've seen myself get into this mindset where I view teachings or identity project nights or home church nights as, um, something that is strictly and primarily outreach focused when in fact biblically speaking as it says in this passage the goal of teaching is to exhort and to encourage believers yeah teaching is a gift for the church yes so it's uh it's really about the rest of your home church like getting fed and getting taught the word yes yeah that's a great point because it's true you want to include the gospel in every teaching like understanding that Hopefully and likely yeah. there are non-believers yeah. there that need to hear that. But it is true. The emphasis, you know, just as you read the New Testament for yourself, Paul's letters for yourself, yeah. his emphasis is on people's relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. Are they loving one another? Are they encouraging one another? Are they holding fast? Are they, you know, um, do they have that community of love? Yeah. And so he's preaching to them in his letters, you know. And so it makes sense that as we teach that we need to keep that in mind, like, how can we stimulate? How can we cause people to grow and move yeah. them forward as a result of our teaching? Christians in particular. Yeah. Um, but obviously keep the non-believers in mind yeah, also. Because sure. if you have a thriving, excited, loving community of Christ, that will be more compelling to the non-believer than just the teaching. But yeah. again, there is still a significant role for the teaching there. Okay, so 2 Timothy 2.15. Do you want to read that one? Sure. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Ah, uh, this is really hitting on the 
role of the teacher, mm-hmm. the character of the teacher. Because yes, we're supposed to teach and you know, as a church called to have teachings, but it's not enough just to teach, it's like the character behind that mm-hmm. will give you authority. I think people are not dumb in general. Yeah. And they can they can sniff out a faker. Oh yeah. And so you know, when you get up to teach, but you really are not living that out or not attempting to live that out in any way in your life, uh, you know, and, and you're speaking really, and it, it's, it means you're speaking disingenuous and disingenuously. I think people can pick up on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, uh, especially in today's culture, I think people really look for sincerity. Yes. And if you're not sincere, then uh, you're. I don't really know how to put it, but you know, if you're not sincere, then it's uh, the message is just falling on deaf ears. It's not even really going to have much of a chance to impact yes. the people. And I was reading uh, his book, um, so the next generation will know by Sean McDowell, oh, yeah. and he was talking about you know he, he brings a lot of stats to bear on the youngest generation, Gen mm-hmm. Z, and you know one of the things that they communicate as a prime value is transparency. Yeah, and so there is something that like. They want to see that in your character, that as you're teaching that, you know, are you a fake? Are you just telling us to live something that you're not even willing to do yourself? That that, but it doesn't mean be perfect. It doesn't mean like I'm going to teach and I better have all my ducks in a row. But it it does mean that you are transparent, that you're honest, that, you know, I am letting what I'm teaching influence myself also. Like as I've been working on this teaching, you know, I've had these convictions and I'm sharing this and, and here's some areas where I may have fallen short or where I'm growing still. Uh, that level of transparency is huge, but it's important, first of all, yeah, not to be a faker, that you are actually, you know, um, letting it minister to yourself. And obviously the other imperative in this verse here, you know, presenting yourself as, um, you know, an approved worker, rightly handling the word of truth. There's there's this, uh, if you're going to teach, you need to be equipped. You need to mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. Um, and, you know, that's going to help your teachings is if you have a wealth of, of like knowledge like to draw upon mm-hmm. uh, especially during like when, during our teachers we have question and answer at the end and new teachers will time. get yeah teachers new teachers will get you know all twisted up there because they don't won't know how to go beyond their teaching that they have written down mm-hmm. but presenting yourself diligently as a, as a worker here accurately handling where truth means you 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 understand the bible and you may not understand it very well starting out but that should be something you're working towards as a teacher would you agree oh yeah for sure i think that also throws out the idea which i've heard sometimes jokingly sometimes people are being real when they say i just gotta let the spirit lead like i'm not gonna prepare because (laughs) i'm just gonna trust the holy spirit like i'm gonna prepare to a point but after that man i just gotta let the spirit lead and (laughs) that sometimes i think is an excuse to be lazy if you're not giving the spirit anything to work with yeah then nothing nothing significant is going to come out of it yep well this is what the spirit says is yeah, be, be diligent yeah diligently there is there is a work involved here participation mm-hmm. in our you know there is the role of the holy spirit we'll get into that here but but you know the role for us is are we going to participate with that are we going to diligently um you know understand learn our word uh so i think people who are going to be teaching regularly and know that need to even more so than other christians be like devoted to learning their word yeah. and Taking classes is a great way to do that. Bible classes, you know, many churches offer that. Ours does. Um, reading you know, books. Reading books, books studying on your own. And obviously that goes towards your own teaching. You know, when you're teaching a particular passage, 
that you know that passage. Yeah. And not just that passage, but you do your study of, of the book and you know where yeah. that passage belongs and context. There's a whole lot to get into as far as that. We don't have time. But, you know, just the, the main idea here is be diligent to prepare, to, you know, to present yourself that you know your word mm-hmm. and you're not going to get caught off guard easily. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers. Ooh, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with that verse, actually. Like, just as I read it, cringe a little bit. It makes me want to not teach. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. There's the like, oh, man, I, am, I, am I willing to be judged under a different yeah. standard? Uh, but then also I think of in our own church when we have 100-plus teachers uh, it says let not many of you <laughs> the kind of teachers. So you yeah. think like, well, are we in violation of that? Um, well, I don't think so. I don't think so because it still is the the majority of our church certainly are not teachers, and and we don't we haven't always been the best at this, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is where we have made mistakes, you know, in our ministry past and, and putting people up to teach it really shouldn't be. And you're like, mm-hmm. ugh. Especially after, you're like, I'm not sure that they were ready for that, and, and probably we jumped the gun a little bit. But we do try to be careful to, you know, put someone up there that can be trusted, that has some authority, that has some, you know, knowledge. And, and you know, and if, and if they don't, you know, that's we're going to trust them with less of that teaching. You know, just like maybe just do a little intro to or get some public speaking. Or yeah, something. tell a testimony, perfectly fine. Um, but we do try to be, you know, a little more careful as far as, giving them the full burden of yeah. teaching because, you know, that's, again, that not lot. many should be. But what about that greater, we're judged with greater strictness. Does that mean that if we mess up as teachers, we're going to hell? What do you think? I do think that. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, is not what this is saying. Oh, yeah. no, I don't think so either. <laughs> no, I don't think it's saying that. I think there, obviously, teachers are held to a higher standard. Yeah. I mean, not in terms of salvation, obviously. Mm-hmm. We know what salvation is. Salvation comes through grace. And so sometimes you can read, you know, someone judged. Oh, we're judged, going to hell. But, yeah. you know, that's not the context. Uh, it's just greater strictness. So there is kind of like, as a teacher, you do, people are looking. And, and you're putting yourself, you're choosing to put yourself under a greater microscope before other people. You know, I think this is really talking about being judged greater strength before other people because they see, you know, the teacher have this great moral failure or something that that that's more compelling than you know just the new christians coming around has a moral fair it's yeah. kind of like oh we expected that a little bit and you know yeah. it's grace but the teacher should know better yeah. you know it's this kind of the idea not that they never screw up but i think in particular you know the teachers in danger of things like hypocrisy where because i'm the great bible teacher i am better and i don't sin yeah you know i think for a teacher they need to be more be more forthright about it uh and, and open and honest because they're held to a higher standard. I think some of my better teachings have come from when I'm wrestling with a passage that exposes my sin in a significant way. Mm-hmm. And I'm forced to get up there in front of this crowd of people and talk about, like, this has been hard. Like, the Lord's been piercing my heart with this, and this is real. Yes. Opposed to, like, I have everything under control. Yes. And I'm on my soapbox telling you how to do it. It's like... We're struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Like this is a this is a sin that no one is immune to, and let's wrestle with this together. Like yeah. that's that's inviting and that's cool. Exactly. So yeah, much better approach it like that. Um, why don't you read the next one? Here? Sure. 
1 Corinthians 2.13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. All right. This is really that, that verse that, that, you know, talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that, that there, these, what we're teaching, it's not just us up there teaching, that, that there's a participation happening of the teacher with the Holy Spirit. Um, and the believer needs to recognize that, that we have no ability in and of ourselves to affect spiritual transformation. That alone is the Holy Spirit's work. Yeah. But he uses us to do that. So there's a participation that happens, but you cannot diminish the role of the Holy Spirit in teaching. What does that mean for us, though? So understanding that the Spirit has such an important role in affecting change as a result of a teaching, what does that mean for us, you think? For me, it looks like uh, going into a teaching with humility, recognizing that no matter how powerfully I think I speak, I personally am not going to be the one to convict someone's need to repent or yes. convict someone of their need for righteousness or justice or anything like that. Yeah, humility The Spirit's huge. the one that's going to do that conviction. He's using me. So if I don't go up there with humility, then the Spirit's not going to be able to use that. Um, so yeah, I think you... someone who's uh, arrogant or, you know, self-righteousness can also look like, you know, that uh, I'm stressed out because it's all up to me. It's all up yeah, to me to yeah. make this happen. And, and if I fail, you know, then nothing's going to happen. But, you know, that, that's, again, undermining the role of the Spirit. Yeah. It's, it's actually the Spirit's going to be the one. Of course you can't. Obviously you can't. But do you trust that the Spirit can even work through you who may not, you know, have the yeah. power and ability? Um, it reminds me of Moses as he's getting, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's given his mission. That he's going to go to free the Hebrews from mm-hmm. Egyptian uh, captivity. And uh, he's gonna, he's, he's, God tells him, you're going to be my spokesperson. And Moses is like, but I'm a dum-dum. I can't talk too good. <laughs> I can't words good. So, and, and <laughs> so God's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to speak through you. I will be your word. Like mm-hmm. it's me doing it. You just go and trust me. Um, you know, Moses presses him on that. He's like, well, I'll give you Aaron, you know? So he, but he gives them yeah. and he, the God provides. He's the one that makes that happen. Yeah. I think that's beautiful in that passage where uh, God does provide Aaron. Mm-hmm. It's also cool. Jeremiah one has a similar thing where the Lord tells Jeremiah, like, "I'm going to use you," and he says, "Like, no, I, you can't, you can't use me. I'm too young. I'm too weak. I can't do this." And but it says, uh, "The Lord stretched out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth.'" Wow, which is pretty powerful. And then he says, "Like, I have appointed you to this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant." So powerful things yes you know it's yeah called to do something jeremiah actually literally eats pages <laughs> too as a, like a yeah. metaphor for you know saying that he puts his words i love that about the old testament how mm-hmm. these guys are always told to do these literal things to represent metaphors but anyway uh, i think the other you know thing to consider if the holy spirit has such a big role here that means the role of prayer is huge yeah. so i think going into a teaching uh having prayed a lot over it giving it over to God and just talking it through with him, you know, is a recognition that I can't do it on my own. Um, and otherwise you could go into a teaching like full of confidence in yourself and, you know, I, I got this and that's a good way to face plant when you're up there. At least, you know, here's the thing. You could get up and deliver the most beautiful sounding sermon or teaching in the world um, that's just people are like, that was so amazing, but, and have the spirit not involved with that. 
because what'll happen is you'll sound great, but it affects zero change, and no one you know is is, is compelled to repent or change. You it's know, a based good on public that. speaking. Yes, it'd be good in like a public speaking class or yeah. something. But that's where the spirit has to come in and actually affect that yeah. change. Uh, okay, and then let's see. We got one more. We'll do First Corinthians chapter two here, right at the beginning. He's talking about uh, and I, when I come when I come to you, brothers. I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, I was with you in weakness and much fear and much trembling. My speech, my message was not uh, plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit. So he's talking about that I was with you guys. And you know what? I, he's, I think he's saying here, he didn't sound like the best teacher. Yeah. You know, back then in ancient days, there was a lot of stock put into... Um, rhetoricians that could get up and deliver really flowery uh you know religious kind of talks yeah. like that you know they would have that you know in each city like showing off basically and paul's like i'm not like them you know i, mm-hmm. I don't sound as flower i don't sound like i'm just talking about jesus and so i think there's there's the imperative there for us as teachers is that we're not getting up there to show off at least we shouldn't be yeah. we certainly can if we want to get up, show up. So let me just, look how funny I am. Look how you know awesome I am. Look how clever I am. Look how cute I am. You know, and, and but there's kind of like we got to be willing to drop these pretensions, and and say you know I'm just I'm here to preach. I'm here to preach and it, baby. This and is I'm on preaching my heart. Christ. And you know this is this is impacting me in a real way. And I yep. just want to tell you about it. Yep. It doesn't mean you can't be funny. It doesn't mean yeah. you can't bring some pathos, some emotion. Actually, to you're it. not allowed to be funny. Yeah. At least that's my excuse. Yeah, that must be your rule <laughs> in your teachings. Um, but you know, there's there's rules there's there's rules for that. But it's when that becomes the uh, focus, you know, that I'm going to do a comedy act for my show or my teaching. You know, that's like ugh. Sound, it comes off like a show. Yes, it comes out. People that. might be entertained, but again, no spiritual activity happens. So we gotta, you know, kind of say that it's about Christ. You know. This is like uh, Spurgeon, who you know I respect a lot uh, as an old teacher. That um, he was a welcome change in his day, you know, in, in uh, England, preaching around because it was. It kind of got to the same thing where there were preachers that would just deliver it was like poetry. They yeah. get up and almost recite poetry, and they had like you know written these long things that were just flowery. And Spurgeon comes along, just kind of plain, frumpy, like grumpy looking old guy. But he's like, um, you know, just would say it like it is, you know, just it's about Christ. And here's what it is. Repent, blah, blah, blah. And people were actually compelled by that. You know, the other preachers were trying to sound all nice and awesome because they think that's what the people want. But people deeply crave God, a relationship with them. And when it can be said in a direct and and that's the focus that actually touches people's hearts because the Holy Spirit works through there. So anyway, the point being, let's not throw on a comedy show and just you know, try to be impressive or something. Let's preach Christ. That's, that's, that's kind of our focus. That's a relief. Yes. Now let's talk about our processes for putting together a teaching. Yeah. You and I teach on a fairly regular basis. And so I thought, you know, just for practical purposes, we can kind of walk through our own pro- processes to help our listeners. Why don't you start? Sure. So for me, uh, first and foremost, goes back to this idea of being fed and getting fed by the word. Mm-hmm. So really, I think it actually, for me, starts uh, back at episode one of Captive Thoughts podcast oh. on how to become a, An avid a regular, uh, a regular reader of the word. Yes. Um, 
So get fed by the word. And I think that means, and you're talking about this earlier, read widely. So yes. it's not only just the passage that, passage that you're teaching, but what's the context of this in the rest of the book or the chapter and yes. the context of the New Testament? Where is this at in the historical context? Um, but getting fed by the word, uh, first and foremost, I think is a priority. A lot of times, I know in my early days, I would just jump straight to, I'd read the passage, okay, these are the verses I'm teaching on, uh, I'm going to go listen to these three teachers, and then okay. I would listen to those three teachers. But I think the goal or the point of getting fed by the Word prior to listening to that is you're developing your own convictions. Yeah. So I want my convictions to color the teachings that I'm going to listen to and the content that I'm going to consume, opposed to that content kind of imposing its convictions on me. Okay. If that makes sense. Because the convictions that they might have may not apply to my audience. Right. Or to yeah. me or the people that I'm talking to. Another thing that I like to do in the early stages or after I am consuming more content uh, is to consider my audience in a meaningful way. And sometimes I even do this thing where I will sit down and I will write people's names out. Like these are people in my cell group or in my home church or that I'm discipling. And I'll just go through what does this person need to hear from this or what does this person need to hear from this. Uh, the goal of that being contextualizing the teaching for your audience, yeah. right? So I'm building something that is for them and unique to them. That doesn't mean, though, that uh, you do have to start with yourself with that because I – you don't want to, I'm, I'm just thinking about how all of this impacts all of you people because I'm perfect. It has to start from a position of how does this impact me? Yes. And this isn't uh, in a, I'm going to loosely interpret the Bible to suit me. Like, you know, that, that ambiguous spiritual question of like, what does this mean to you? Yeah. It's not that. You have to get what does it mean? Period. period. Yeah. Which comes from the first part of like, I am getting fed by the word. I am learning what this means, period. Now what does this mean to these specific people? Yeah. And then from there, uh, I know I'm a very functional person. How many hours do you think you put into a teaching? Oh, that's tough. It depends what I'm teaching. But uh, like when I do the big meeting teaching, I will put in probably, I would say 15 plus hours. It's quite a bit. For a home church, maybe, maybe not as much. No, no, no. Like certainly not. With a smaller group, I, I try to keep it so that it's more it's more like you're just talking with friends. I mean, essential teaching is kind of a big teaching yeah. is that way too, but but there is a different kind of setting there that it's it's smaller to friends and there's more give and take and you can dialogue more, so I don't yeah, you know, have just like a set, but and that's uh kind of my point at the end is the dialogue aspect. So something that I like to do as I'm wrapping up working in my teaching is to start to have conversations with people about it. Yeah. To because if I'm spending you know six seven hours studying for my teaching, then that six or seven hours in a functional consuming content mindset, and I need to change gears. Yeah. To a conversational mindset, especially for home church teaching where there's dialogue with the audience and there's give and take and you're interacting with them. Yeah. It's not stand up and give a lecture. Which, if I were to just go straight from studying seven hours to teaching, then it would be very lecture-like, which is boring. But. Yes. Yeah, so a friend I of like mine, to... uh, his name is Dave McClelland. I took... That's where I got this from. Oh, yeah. He's called Preaching by Ear. Yeah. Um, 
He's a pastor out at Tinker's Creek Church in Streetsboro. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we took his class together and yeah. talked about that's the concept, preaching by ear. Yeah. And so I will, I'll, I'll talk to Adi about it, my wife, because she might have insights for her girls in her cell that I probably don't know. So it's good for me to talk about it, get in a conversational tone, you know, yes. hear from other people, their, uh, their thoughts or you know, maybe what the Spirit's putting on their heart in relation to this. So yes. Yeah, there's, there is that. I think that's what I like doing when I teach is like not necessarily have a script that I stick to, but there is kind of like this element of I just have talked through it so much yeah. and I've studied it that I just know it, that I, I have room when I'm teaching to kind of go off a little bit, mm-hmm. but, but you know, the not go off yeah. script a little bit, but it's still like it's sharing. It's like I'm discovering the truth here of this passage with the audience, you know, yeah. and that, that it can be compelling. You're just like, man... And it's just, isn't it just amazing, everybody? How yeah. they, like, and uh, people like that when you can, when you're like, you're, it, it, it gives you a sense of sincerity. And, For sure, you know, people are like, oh, he's really being genuine, because you are mm-hmm. being genuine, you know. So anyway, yeah, I have a similar process. I mean, I start just by passage study go there first uh understand where it's context it's place in the book mm-hmm. understand the book completely um preach by ear i talk through it with people um i try to see how yeah how does this apply to me also where do i need to change as a result of this teaching and then you know you mentioned like listening to other teachers so i have that as part of my uh thing too and uh, my process but i think that i would do that a lot more early on in my teaching okay. career because I had to learn how to teach and what it sounded yeah, like to teach. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pastors um, that I knew, that I know, that have their teachings online. And so I'd listen to that, that teaching. And that's what we do as a church, mm-hmm. as we raise up new teachers, we encourage them to go to that. Like if, if a, a preacher has a series, the same series we're going through, James, for example. Yeah. Go listen to this person's James 3 teaching. Um, and it'll give, you, it'll give you a sense like, okay, this is how it's supposed to teach. And my studies... Have I gone to heresy? <laughs> it'll, it'll catch <laughs> yeah. that often, and that's helpful. And it can also just help you like a basic structure might good, might be good. Obviously, we're toeing the line there in, in, in mm-hmm. terms of like ripping off someone else's teaching, but you know, really, that the the, the interpretation is the interpretation. Yep. You're not you're not ripping off someone yep. else's interpretation. There is a correct interpretation. So that that process listening to someone else can be helpful, but it can become a crutch. Mm-hmm. I've found in in our church in particular where you know, we can get into lazy teaching, which is that, you know, I might read the passage a little bit, but then I immediately go and listen to another pastor, how they do it, and then just copy kind of their thing yeah. and teach what they say. Just that's, regurgitate yeah, their that's teaching. Yeah, definitely happened. And frankly, I've been guilty of that in, oh, my, yeah. own, in my own process. I'll um, use phrases uh, where it's like, I clearly would never actually say that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't word it like that. That's clearly yeah. a... And it's not like I'm saying... Like so-and-so said, I'm just verbatim saying what they yeah. said and claiming it as my own. Yes. And it's... Yeah, I mean, it, it does bring up like a wider conversation too about how much can you just lift from someone else's teaching and feel good about that. And I think, you know what? I think sometimes that is totally fine and appropriate. You know why? These like mega preachers especially, they all rip off each other. That yeah. absolutely happens. I have had, you know, many instances where I've gotten to listen to like these two different big preachers and they're like they've said the, the same, same things in the content. same way you're like ah someone yeah. borrowed from someone but i think that's fine and that's yeah. good because if someone does have a good or creative way 
an idea for communicating something. You'd want to share that. And I doubt the preachers, if we've ever lifted things, are like really offended by that. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's copyrighted. Yeah, yeah, I know. They're like going to sue us. I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, I'd be honored that they're listening to yeah, my that's teaching. Yeah, that's how I, <laughs> I feel, I feel too. Oh my God, Ben yes. Stewart, listen to me. So I think it's fine to borrow. I think it's fine to get ideas and inspiration from the way other preachers do it. But we just need to avoid using that as a crutch. That yeah. I'm not. I, I don't have to do my own study anymore because of this. And I'm just going to re- regurgitate exactly how they said mm-hmm. it. Because then, you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well just play a recording of that person doing it because they did it better than you. Lip sync battle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do a lip sync battle. Exactly. So, you know. As a newer teacher, you're going to be doing that more. You're going to be doing a little more regurgitation, but I think that's okay starting out because you just need to learn the flow. And you, learn and you can it. make it yours. Yes. What are story, my own personal stories yeah. or illustrations or things yes. like that. You can still make it your own. Yeah, I think that's good. And then as you grow, I think you, you start to move past that because you just have a bigger wealth of knowledge yeah. about the Bible and have more to draw upon, more idea. And you'll be able to just study a passion and be like, I get it, you know, and I, I know where I need to go with this. And then maybe at the end of your, pro- where, that's where I'm at now, we're in that at the end of my process, I, I go towards, uh, you know, listen to some other guy just to kind of see, am I off base or, you know, oh, that guy was creative, but, you know, I, I might I might do something like that, you know? So that's, you know, part of my process as well. And then I try to make sure in my process that I am, uh, I get focus time that I try to limit distractions, especially when I'm really trying to focus. So it's like, go out to uh you know get away from the house yeah, for a while i was while. gonna ask if you have a uh like a special yeah special we, place for working on your teachers. yeah we do uh i teach our big meetings on saturdays and so i try to kind of block off that whole day up until the, the teaching uh to just get away from yeah. the house and i try to go to well i used to go to coffee shops but this these can't days anymore. can't do that anymore um, I have been coming to our study center. It's under construction, but I've been finding that pretty distracting as people come and bang hammers and stuff. Um, so the gurgling sound. Yeah, the gurgling. <laughs> so I, you know, I've kind of had to recently just settle with locking myself in my office yeah. at home, and uh, it's not ideal because home can be a very distracting environment, even with when a you're baby. In office with a baby, especially with a, oh my a one-year-old. Yeah, I just Diane. like I'll be focusing and just hear like a bang, bang, you know, on the door. It's like whoa. Um, so it can be tough. So I'm actually to these days I'm having a hard time finding good yeah, focus same. areas. But you know, thankfully it's uh, getting to the point where it's not 110 degrees and 90 percent humidity every day. Mm-hmm. So and yes. parks are opening back up. So pavilions. Yeah, just sometimes you need Wi-Fi to be able to connect through some things. But just hot spot it. Yeah, hot spot sure. Um, okay, last part here. Let's talk about some common mistakes that we've seen in delivery. I, we've actually already hit some of these, so we don't have to spend too much time. But you know, what are some mistakes that you've maybe even made in your own preaching career or see happen from from new teachers? What you know, do you have any examples of that? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, one is the not being ready, thinking that the teaching ends when you say, "Okay, I'm done." Yes. And not being ready for the dialogue and the questions afterwards. Yeah. That happens to me a lot. There's been, I remember one time specifically, well, I mean, it's happened a lot. But the first time that it was pointed out to me that this is something to watch out for was I was teaching a big combined meeting and someone asked a question for me afterwards. And I didn't know how to answer it. So I fumbled around for a little bit and then I turned to somebody in the audience and I was like, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was... Uh, what was pointed out to me is uh, it's discrediting. Yeah. So uh, 
being... Yeah, you want your audience to be confident that you know what you're talking about, for sure. For, yeah. Which also means, I think, being not being ready for questions, part of that is when to seek help in a way that's not, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. But also being ready for questions in that uh, I have, like, I've taught the tip of the iceberg. Yes. I have this wealth of information underneath. So when someone asks a question, sometimes I will even be prepared to, I bet someone's going to ask a question about this. So I should, I should make a note or sometimes I'll even write potential questions on my outline. Yeah. So if someone asks this, I can, I know I can turn to this. Yes. Yeah, that's um, that's why I say like I you know fifteen hours on a on a big teaching for me like is is not unusual and but the majority of that time is not spent necessarily making my teaching you know that that's actually just a little bit um, I could do that in, in a few hours but really it's it's um, the study and it's the reading like I'll often read an entire book for that that teacher call. I just did it when I taught on uh, spiritual warfare my uncle wrote a book called Satan in His Kingdom mm. and so I read that entire book to prepare for the thing. Uh, for the teaching I was doing that week, and it was hugely helpful for yeah. questions afterward, and I was able to draw from such a a wealth there uh, of of material. So, yeah, I see that a lot. Not ready for questions. I see also that um, that teachers will get up and not sound authentic. That they will give, they will bring a preacher voice, and they Isn't will that... all of a sudden they'll, they'll like yeah. conversationally they'll be really eloquent, and clear, like just talking like this, you know. Then they get up and teach, and then. They'll sound like that, you know, they'll just like clam up yeah. or they'll, they'll like put on a pretend voice that they think a teacher should sound Man, like. isn't that just so cool? So cool. So cool. <laughs> and you're just like, you don't talk like that ever. So like what happens is you sound disingenuous. You yeah. sound like you're faking it because you kind of are. And so the advice here I'd give is just be yourself. And that, um, like, you know, yeah, you might need to be a little louder than you normally are. Sure, there might be some things to change. But you just talk it like you're talking to friends. Like, Which I think goes back to our honestly. earlier point of preaching by ear and approaching your teaching in a conversational manner. Yeah. Where you don't have to sound like a preacher because you're not on your soapbox or in your pulpit or anything like that. You're up there talking to people. Yes. And it's fun and you're hanging out. Exactly. So look out for the fake voice. Just be. Don't be afraid to be authentic, to be yourself mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, you know, obviously going too fast, too slow are common mistakes that they, you know, they go a million miles an hour cause they're stressed yeah, out talking. So you have to look out for that and, or, or slow because you're trying to think through it. That I, uh, I don't can be aggravating. I don't pause. Oh, I go from yeah. one point straight to the next. So not only do I talk fast in terms of my words per minute, but I go from point A to point B to point C to point D. So there's no reprieve or break yes and sometimes when you make a good point and you should just let it marinate with people for a second i just i don't give time for that to happen yeah. i just on to the next point that's where the filler words um yeah and so that's where they come from because it's so unnatural to leave it at a at a, a pause it, it feels like a shit and it feels like you need to continue so you're trying to buy time to think of the next thing to say so you say um. and time feels slower when you're teaching so it's I've been quiet for a half second, but it feels like five minutes. Yes, it's so hard to just drive. But the more teachings you do, the better you are at, at catching these things, and and it becomes it feels more natural. But starting out, you're going to be doing this stuff, and you just need to have someone that you trust giving you constructive now, criticism. You know, one thing that I have not done that much, but I really probably should. I've been putting it off because I'm just terrified to do it. Is to listen to my own teachings. Oh, I hate my own voice. That's the worst. <laughs> my voice is terrible. Uh, you know, listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice, it's not that bad. 
but so it's you can bad. catch those things. I'm I'm probably not aware of how much I'm using the paralanguage, I think is what it's called. Paralanguage? The ums and the uhs and the errs. Yeah, okay. And my good. pauses and things like that. I like that because it's uh, fake language. Yeah. Um, oh, see? There's the I know. <laughs> hard to, it's hard to do. I mean, no, you do it. use fillers in conversation. So now when you're teaching, you all of a sudden you don't. So it actually does kind of feel unnatural. But it does. It will enhance your teaching. It'll make it more impactful. You feel awkward during doing a big silence, but that, the crowd doesn't. doesn't. So yep. you have to just trust that, and then you'll go better and land your points. Pause. Bada boom, bada bing. Continue. You don't say that, but you know. <laughs> uh, so also another one is being too note dependent. So obviously, I think my practice is bring, you bring up notes, and it can yep. help you just uh, you know remember what's my next thing, my next section. What do I need to make sure I absolutely need to to say? And some people are more note dependent than others, and that's that's fine. So like some of my favorite preachers, you get up there like they are just always looking at their notes, and, and you know what? It's kind of like that's fine. Yeah. But when I'm talking about being too note dependent as a bad thing, it means that yeah, they have they have a script and there's no room for deviation from Rigidity. it, and they're very rigid. And it sounds like they're reading it almost. And yeah. now my next point, same point. Next point that, you know, you just sound rigid, but you need to be able to know your teaching well enough that even if like you didn't have your notes there all the time, you'd be okay. Yeah. Uh, you can, it doesn't mean memorize your teaching, but at least you don't have to look at it every second or whatever. So that can become a big, got to be willing to budge. Something yes. happens. Uh, maybe someone has a question when you're teaching and you got to redirect or something like that, yes. or you realize, yep. oh my God, I'm going twice as long as I thought I should. So maybe I have to pivot or something yep. like that. And then the last one I just thought of is uh, my seminary teacher said this, that ending your teaching, your conclusion, you have to land the plane, he said. Because I've seen a lot of uh, newer teachers in our fellowship in particular, they'll end a teaching by like, and that's it. Any questions? It's so difficult. And okay, it's all I got. Yeah. So that, but that's that not a very good conclusion. You got to, yeah, you got to land the plane, which is a good conclusion, a hard hitting point to end. Maybe a, maybe it's a verse, yeah, or maybe it's a sentence that you know you're going to say word for word, and then you just end, you know, there or end with a prayer at the end. Yeah. It can be good too, but you know, some way that's just it can let like sink in for yeah. people. But just well, that's it. You know, it's just kind of like an anticlimactic. Like, I'm okay. a I'm a rambler, so I'm like my plane lands, but then it goes back up a little bit, and then mm -hmm. it lands again, and then it goes back up. So it's like, I I don't know how to just stop, and I just ramble till I feel like okay, I just beat this to yep. death. So I'm just gonna stop talking. <laughs> well, good. On that note, I think it's time we land the plane for this episode yeah. of Captive Thoughts podcast. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and you can hit the bell to likes to get notifications when new videos drop. And uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, so uh, make sure you subscribe to that. And we have a new Captain Thoughts channel, actually. Oh, we used to have our videos on the Freedom Fellowship, our church's uh, YouTube page, but we found that that was confusing because it would uh, okay. get lost with uh, the teaching video. So anyway, nice. we have a Captain Thoughts channel, so please subscribe to that because you probably haven't already if you, you know, subscribe to Freedom Fellowship. So with that, thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Thank you, Ian, for joining thanks me for today. Me. And uh, we'll see you next time. How's that for landing the plane? <laughs>